Today is February 12th, 2021. Bitcoin takes a step towards the mainstream. Trump is furious over his lawyer's performance during the impeachment hearings. And never Trumpers debate starting their own party. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got another fantastic episode for you here today, bringing you all that good stuff from the left and all that good stuff from the right, and of course, finding that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. It is out by popular demand. Everybody's been asking me, Austin, I want you to produce, I want you to produce the best podcast that you've done so far. And y'all, we've done it today, here today. Believe it or not, we have the best podcast that we have done. So if you are interested in looking at the hypocrisy on both sides, the good stuff on both sides of the aisle, trying to parse through all the divisiveness that is in modern day politics and look at stuff with an educated view, right? Trying your best to hold your opinions and hold them strongly, but not demonizing the other side of the aisle, then this is the place for you. Come along with us as we hop on into our first story of the first story of the day, story number one. So, first story of the day, Bitcoin. So, as many of you have probably been reading in the news over the past couple of weeks, or really even the past couple of years, Bitcoin is getting a lot of talk. Okay, I mean a ton of talk, and a lot of it is because the value of it has absolutely exploded over the past couple of weeks. Well, past couple of months, right? And I mean, if you look back to like 2014, Bitcoin was trading at like $300, something like that, maybe $400 a coin. The last time that I checked, it is tens of thousands of dollars, right? It was up to like 40 grand a week or so ago. Crazy sauce, okay? It's basically going all over the place. More and more people are starting to invest in it. There actually are a ton of other cryptocurrencies as well that have been doing well, notably Dogecoin which is a total meme of a cryptocurrency, but it has been created and people are buying into it and a lot of people are actually making a lot of money on it as well. It was uh, pushed a little bit by Elon Musk, which everything that he touches turns to gold. So uh, a lot of people are looking at Bitcoin and they're basically saying, this is the currency of the future. I think that this is going to continue to increase in value. It's going to increase and in it's basically the the, the amount of people that are using it for everyday transactions. I want to invest in it, get in on it now, and I want to invest in infrastructure that, you know, would be able to support Bitcoin as well. So one of those people that is making the push towards being making uh, Bitcoin completely, uh, I mean, just out in the open, everybody knows that everybody can invest in it, anybody can do whatever they want with it, is actually BNY Mellon. Okay, so America's oldest bank came out and announced that they would now be allowing for its investors to buy and to sell Bitcoin through their brokerage. Okay, they're basically working now to set up the infrastructure to be able to process Bitcoin transactions or buying the buying and selling of the cryptocurrency for any of their asset management clients that would want to do it. Basically, they've realized a lot of people are wanting to get involved in Bitcoin and any other type of cryptocurrency, right? Many large banks have been very, very 
maybe cautious is the best word about getting into any type of cryptocurrency trading because of the I mean, incredible lack of regulatory oversight. So like many of you know, politics is always downstream from culture. It's downstream from things that are happening in the country, right? So Congress right now and the vast majority of the legislators are honestly just not they don't know enough about it. They don't see a reason to regulate cryptocurrency at this point in time. Now, of course, that will likely change somewhere down the future or somewhere somewhere down the road where uh, when cryptocurrencies are being used much more often. But as of now, it's incredibly unregulated and very, very large banks that are under a very large amount of scrutiny from the federal government and regulatory oversight have been very cautious to get into it because they don't really know what the future holds for a lot of cryptocurrencies. But BNY Mellon, an incredibly large bank, investment bank, decided, you know what? We're going to go ahead and do it. We're going to open it up. We're going to allow our asset management clients, if they want to, to be able to invest in Bitcoin. This is absolutely monumental for cryptocurrencies, okay? They're like one of the first really, really large institutional banks that has been willing to come out and be like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to figure out a way to make this happen for our clients because it looks like this isn't going away anytime soon and there are a lot of people making a ton of money on it and we want our clients to be some of the clients that are doing it, right? So um, a lot of the, I think, kind of fear around cryptocurrencies, the lack of knowledge around cryptocurrencies is slowly but surely kind of starting to change, okay? Um, although there probably still needs to be a little bit of explanation around it for a lot of my listeners. So... I'm real quick. I'm going to run through a Bitcoin and blockchain because I'm sure you probably have heard of those, you know, heard those words, heard those terms. And you kind of want to know what it is. So Bitcoin, what is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is basically a um, the easiest way to put it is it is a cryptocurrency, right? So it is a currency that is not going to be held in a dollar form, right? Or you're not going to be able to actually hold a Bitcoin in your hand. It is all going to be done through a completely decentralized networks network of computers and its value is going to change based upon obviously people that are buying and selling bitcoin and the amount of transactions that are happening with it so the purpose of cryptocurrency is basically to eliminate all need for banks or middlemen in transactions between people to another person okay so what is this how what does that even mean all of that is done based upon the blockchain, okay? If you have questions about this or I don't explain this very well, there are a plethora of good YouTube videos that you can also look up as well uh, that may help you in your understanding with really cool, interesting, cute little graphics that you can watch as well. I'm going to do my best to explain it here though. So in simple terms, blockchain is a way to replace and Bitcoin cryptocurrency is the way to replace the need for banks. So right now, if you want to complete a transaction with, say, somebody in Australia, right, and you're living in America, in order for you to do that, you have to take your money and you have to put it into a bank, and then that bank then has to send that money to that person, right? Same vice versa, right? If they want to send anything to you, they have to put it into a bank. That bank then has to sometimes even communicate with your bank, and then from there, you are able to get the money that you are owed in order to complete a transaction, Blockchain and Bitcoin basically allows you to just send that money from you to that person without the need for a bank, okay? 
It allows you to complete transactions and money transfers from one person to another without need of a third party. This is all done by decentralizing trans- the transactions that take place. So, basically, if a transaction takes place between one person and another, computers all around the world use mathematical functions to encrypt and verify the transaction itself, okay? Once the transaction has been verified, all right, they know that a transaction has taken place between one person and another, uh, that gets verified and it gets stored in the blockchain, okay? The blockchain, basically, in the simplest of terms, is just a gigantic ledger of every single transaction that has taken place. Okay, within that blockchain. So if you have somebody that is buying something or you know exchanging something with Bitcoin, the transaction happens. Computers take that transaction. They verify that it, the two people between the two people that are going to do it verify that the transaction actually happened, and then it stores it in the blockchain. The awesome thing about it is that the blockchain is completely decentralized across all of the computers that are being used within the network of the blockchain, okay? So, it makes it almost impossible to hack. Unlike a bank, where if you have all of your information at the bank, they're storing it in their, you know, one centralized data warehouse, right? And in order for, you know, you someone to hack that, you know, a bunch of your user information, they just have to be able to hack that data warehouse, right? And of course, they have encryption technologies, they have a bunch of stuff in order to keep people from doing it, but we see data breaches happen all the time, right? I mean, data breaches happen, uh, I mean, with all kinds of different, whether it's a financial institution, whether it's a tech company, they happen all the time and users' informations and uh, clients' informations get taken all the time. So... Blockchain makes it so a little bit of your information is here, a little bit of your information is over here, a little information is on Greg's computer and on John's computer and on Cindy's computer, so that way there's no way you're going to be able to hack all of those computers at the exact same time in order to be able to get the information you need to steal the money from somebody, okay? It also makes it incredibly cheap to process transactions because... You're not relying on a bank, right? You're not relying on some third party in order to do it. You're just sending that money straight to that person, okay? Extremely interesting stuff. Now, granted, there I probably did a very poor job of actually explaining all of this, but the, uh, the purpose of all of this is to discontinue the need for middlemen between transactions and make transactions much, much more secure, Right? The idea, the idea and the goal of it is if we can make it so uh, everything is encrypted, everything is stored, right? Everything is stored in that blockchain. It's impossible for things to be changed within the blockchain and for everything to be completely decentralized. Then all of a sudden you don't have to worry about data breaches anymore. You don't have to worry about countries manipulating currency valuations. You don't have to worry about people coming in uh, and stealing your money or stealing any of the transactions or or committing any type of fraud, right? Blockchain solves a lot of those problems. I really do think that it is the way of the future, and it really is only a matter of time before a lot of these larger institutional banks get on board with it and are like, you know what? This isn't going anywhere anytime soon. It's time to go ahead and get involved in it. 
try and make sure that we can get our stake in the claim early on as much as possible. So I would strongly advise going and looking up some videos, right? Look up some cool educational videos about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general. I am not an expert on it by any stretch of the imagination, but it is incredibly cool uh, technology. And I really do think that here in the next 50 years, we're going to be looking around and all of us are going to have cryptocurrency wallets that are just kind of, that's the natural process of things. Um, I think it's going to be for sure something that we're all going to be using. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our second story of the day. Story number two. So for our second story of the day, Donald Trump is not happy. So understandably so, right? If you've been watching the impeachment hearings, oh my Lanta, Georgia. So Trump, as reported by a couple of different news sources, is not happy with his lawyer's performance over this past week at the beginning of the Senate impeachment hearings, okay? Totally understandable. They have performed incredibly poorly. And when I say bad, I mean like really really bad. Okay. If you've watched them, if you've watched any of the stuff, I've been watching a lot of it live throughout the day as I'm working and stuff, you can see a glaring difference between the Democrats and the arguments that they're making and Donald Trump's defense attorneys and the arguments that they're making. The Democrats are poised, they're collected, they're very, very well prepared, they're speaking very eloquently, they're actually putting their sentences together. Trump's lawyers look disheveled, ill-prepared, honestly confused at some time, at some points. Like, it is just, it honestly is embarrassing in a lot of ways. So, um... We're going to go ahead and watch through a little bit. Uh, this is Bruce Castor, who I kind of made fun of a little bit on Wednesday as well because he opened up everything that he was saying, uh, saying that he was Donald Trump, the prosecutor. Oh, man. Um, so this, this is going to be actually a little bit longer. It's going to be about a two-minute video, but it kind of outlines a good bit of uh, kind of the, some of the different things that Donald Trump's lawyers have been saying, this one specifically Bruce Castor. So let's, let's take a listen to this now. If we go down the road that my very worthy adversary here, Mr. Raskin, asks you to go down, the floodgates will open. But the political pendulum will shift one day. This chamber and the chamber across the way will change one day. And partisan impeachments will become commonplace. So this is a Republican senator leaving right now. I said I'd be an impartial juror. Anyone listening to those arguments, the House managers were focused. They were organized. They relied upon both precedent, the Constitution, and legal scholars. They made a compelling argument. President Trump's team were disorganized. They did everything they could but to talk about the question at hand. And when they talked about it, they kind of glided over it, almost as if they were embarrassed of their arguments. Now, if I'm an impartial juror, and one side's doing a great job, and the other side's doing a terrible job on the issue at hand, as an impartial juror, I'm going to vote for the side that did the good job. I was struck. I, I, I thought the, the, the House managers who spoke earlier were brilliant speakers. And I made some notes, and they'll hear about what I think about some of the things they said later when I'm closing the case. But I thought they were brilliant speakers, and I loved listening to them. 
They're smart fellows. The American people just spoke, and they just changed administrations. Between the left and the right, the Democrat, you know, the House managers that are making their arguments, and then Bruce Castor and Trump's team uh, making their arguments. And he is, I mean, 100% correct. Even if you look at, even if you look at, like, the way that they're dressed, completely different. Like, all of the Democrats that are coming up and talking are in, like, are, like, dressed incredibly well their hair is done well like trump's team they're wearing like baggy suits they look they literally look like car salesmen right like it is it really is kind of surprising um and he, at the end of that video there bruce castor uh was going through and talking openly admitting and talking through the fact that trump lost the election and that the democrats people uh, know that the election was was won by Biden, right? And that everything, every, you know, they've already got a new administration in, blah, blah, blah. It's like, what What was he talking about? Like, what does that even have to do with what he's talking about? Um, at one point, he actually says, in one of the, one of the opening arguments that he made, that, uh, that Trump and the DOJ, basically that the, if the DOJ thought that he had done something wrong, the DOJ should have arrested Trump and throw him in jail, thrown him in jail. Obviously alluding, I guess, to the fact that like Trump didn't do anything wrong and so they didn't arrest him, which doesn't make any sense at all because the Senate isn't debating on whether or not Donald Trump committed a federally, a legally culpable crime, right? Like they're, not, they're not arguing about whether or not to indict Donald Trump on federal, federally illegal stuff, right? The Senate isn't charged with going after uh, indicting President Trump on something. Right. Like the Senate is debating on whether or not they should impeach him and bar him from coming back into office. Really tough to watch. OK. And that's not even including the fact that uh, the two Bruce Castor and the, the other uh, law, one of the main lawyers there with him have made absolute memes out of themselves over this past week. One of them was our our bro. What moment early on Wednesday. Right. And the other one is. I'm sure you guys have seen the video. <laughs> he's a, a balding guy and he's sitting there at like every two minutes stops everything that he's saying to loudly drink water and he holds his hand on top of his head while he's drinking the water. I don't understand why. It's just, it really is surprising to me. So um, all of this to say, Donald Trump is extremely not happy, okay? Extremely not happy. And uh, what is what is interesting is that uh, the Democrats, it looks like, came out absolutely swinging, like they were ready to go. And Donald Trump, a week before all of this had to go, th ended up going through, ended up having to completely put together a new legal team because he was supposedly trying to force them to talk through and to allude to and make the arguments for the fact that election fraud did happen. And his team didn't want to do that, so a couple of them quit, right? Well, now it looks like he doesn't even have the B team out there, right? Like he's got like the D team or the E team out trying to defend him from this impeachment case in front of an incredibly well-equipped Democratic House managers that are ready to go. I mean, they are firing on all cylinders. That initial video that they opened up with, with footage of people going and storming the Capitol Dome, really, really tough to watch. The arguments that they're constructing around the timelines that Donald Trump was sending specific tweets, the way that he was attacking Vice President Trump Pence, the way that the language that he was using over the couple of months leading up to January 6th and around how Donald Trump's team was had their hand personally in the organization of the protests that were happening on January 6th 
is some pretty damning evidence against Donald Trump. And his team is just standing there flat-footed, not able to defend him against absolutely any of it, right? So what instead, what the Trump team, and maybe they're going to be pulling it out, I don't know, what the Trump team needs to be doing is constructing an argument, not about whether or not Donald Trump was protected under the First Amendment, not about whether or not the impeachment trial in the Senate should even be happening, but instead, whether or not what Donald Trump did was an impeachable offense. That's what they have to argue, and there is a legitimate argument to that, right? You can absolutely put together a sound argument that Donald Trump did not do anything that was worthy of impeachment, right? They can put together videos of Donald Trump saying over and over again that he thought that the protests needed to be peaceful, right? He didn't say it all that many times, not nearly as many times as he said the word fight, right? But um, you can talk through about the definition of the word fight. You can talk through the use of emphatic language in order to illustrate a point. Okay, there are a wide variety of different instances and things that they can talk about with other politicians saying incredibly egregious things, but them not being impeached for it because they were protected under, uh, they were, because they, what they were saying, eventually, of course, they could not be held accountable for in front of the Senate or the House, whether it's, uh, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez within the past three weeks accusing somebody of having to trying to get her murdered right whether it's Maxine Waters talking about uh, it's okay to go out and commit violence against Republicans right there are plenty of scenarios that they can talk about where Democrats have said equally egregious things but they have never been of course uh, tried under an impeachment trial within the Senate or the House right there are plenty of different things they weren't censured nothing Instead, they're not doing any of that. Literally, none of it is happening, okay? They're not countering any of the points of the Democrats. And it's really, really interesting, and Trump has a legitimate case for being upset right now because they are doing an incredibly poor job. So how all of this plays out, I'm not totally sure. At this point, heading into it, and I've said over and over again, there's no way Donald Trump gets impeached because it'll get voted almost entirely along party lines. I still believe that, right? But with how poorly Trump's legal defense is putting together an argument right now, I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple more Republicans flip. I wouldn't. Now, will it be enough for the 17 in order to actually, you know, impeach him? I don't know. But it's not looking good for Donald Trump and his team right now really is embarrassing. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our third story, story number three. So, for the third story of the day, the Never Trumpers get together and debate on whether or not to start their own party. What? So, we've heard a lot about Trump wanting to break off and start his own party called the Patriot Party because all of his all of his followers are patriots. So, uh, it would basically be the goal of Donald Trump taking all the people that supported him wholeheartedly, had his back until the very end, and combating all the Republicans that did not have his back throughout all of it, um, and essentially splitting the Republican Party down the middle, right? Over the past four years, though, there have been a very core group of Republicans that have kind of refused to kowtow to Donald Trump's agenda. They have been like your Bill Crystals of the world or your John McCain's when he was still around, right? Your Mitt Romney's, those type of like more central, moderate, you know, right of center Republicans that are like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fall in line with Donald Trump and his agenda. 
I'm going to do my best to stick to my laurels, vote for the wet things that I think need to be voted for, and I'm not going to bow down to Donald Trump and kiss his feet. They, of course, got it absolutely excoriated by the Republican Party on many, many occasions. Um, and they recognized that Donald Trump pretty much grabbed all of the power and pulled everybody to the right in the Republican Party. So they are seeing an opportunity for them to step in and create their own party that would pretty much be a party of centrist, okay? It would it, it would uh, purposefully say no to the far right, it would purposefully say no to the far left, and it would say we need reason, we need a bipartisanship, and we need to come together on, you know, this in the center on things that we can all agree upon. Obviously, they've been watching Split the Difference podcast. So about 120 of these people, a lot of them were former officials, former officials in the Reagan administration, uh, the Bush administration, Clinton administration as well. Uh, 120 of them got on a Zoom call last Friday and kind of started debating and talking through what this would look like if they actually did it. They talked through and discussed the incredible rift that has occurred within American politics as a result of Donald Trump and his combating against the left wing media, which is also caused a lot of the problems as well. Um, and how there's a lot of people in this country that don't feel represented at all by the people that are in Congress because both of the parties have gone and pushed farther apart, right? By, by polling data, by any type of statistics, you can see both parties for some reason or well, not for some reason, we know why, but I've pushed away from each other. Okay. And, but by polling data, the vast majority of people are not on the fringes, right? The politicians are going for this craziness on both sides because that's what gets them the most clicks, that's what gets them the most news coverage, and that's what they know is going to be able to get them in front of voters more. And we all know, if anything, politics in a lot of ways is more of a you know popularity contest than it is anything else. Um, so if they're getting in front of more people, more people know their name, they're of course going to do better on the ballot, even if people don't really you know, agree with everything that they say, they at least know their name and they've seen their face more than they've seen somebody else that would be running against them, right? That's the idea behind why a lot of these people are saying crazy stuff, politicians. So is there any legitimacy to this, okay? Could a party step forward and be like, hey, we're going to be a center, maybe a bit right of center party that's going to come up and try to suck up a lot of these more moderate Republicans and Democrats? Personally, I think absolutely, okay? And I think that it would work for the exact same reason that the Patriot Party wouldn't work, okay? The Patriot Party would fall apart in and on itself for two reasons, okay? One, if Donald Trump's not there, nobody's voting on the Patriot Party ticket. Not going to happen. There are plenty of people that ran and campaigned with Donald Trump that were huge Trump fans that ever Trump endorsed that he was, you know, all behind all the way. And they did absolutely horrible. Great example of that is uh, Purdue and Loeffler, right, in Georgia. Donald Trump was down there campaigning with them all the time, endorsed both of them in huge ways. Both of them got absolutely snuffed at the ballot box. And it's because I think in a lot of ways there were people, uh, a lot of the more independents and more moderates felt more willing to vote for Democrats because they knew that Donald Trump's name was attached to those people. And Donald Trump is way far right right? It's the same reason why a lot of people would be much more likely to go in and vote for a moderate Democrat like a like a Tulsi Gabbard over like an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or a Bernie Sanders, right? The reason why is because 
they're going to garner and gather a lot of that independent crowd. The Patriot Party would not do that. So that's my second reason. The Patriot Party is too far right. The vast majority of voters would not go for that. If anything, it would be just a portion of the Republican Party, which of course would then split the Republican ticket in half. Democrats would win in a landslide in pretty much every election that they went up against. So um, the reason why I think that this moderate party may actually work is because there are a lot of moderate Democrats that don't like and don't agree with a ton of the more progressive stuff that's happening within the Democratic Party, while at the same time not agreeing with a lot of the you know far right-wing stuff that's happening in the Republican Party. I am absolutely convinced, and data and polling shows, that the vast majority of people are moderate, much more moderate, okay? Now, there may be some people that uh, are more single-issue voters, right, where, like, for example, a lot of Republicans would say, I'm not going to get on board with any politician, anything at all, that says that abortion should be legal. Single-issue voter, right? But most people are not single-issue voters, okay? Most people are going to do their best to try look around and figure out what kind of jives with them best. And a lot of people vote much more emotionally, okay? So if you come out and you're like, listen, we want to push for, uh, push away from all of the craziness that's been happening on both sides of the aisle. I think that that is a, going to be an incredibly compelling argument for a lot of people, especially a lot of the people that are sitting like a little bit more on that Democratic left-leaning side, right? That feel like, you know what, I, I voted for Joe Biden because I kind of felt like I had to. I didn't vote for Joe Biden because I thought that he was a great candidate. I just voted against Donald Trump. There are a lot of people that felt that way in this past election. And if there was a party for them that came in, it was basically like, we're going to be okay with some of the more social policies on the left. We're going to try and embrace a little bit more of the fiscal and monetary conservatism on the right. And we're going to do our best to blend the best of both worlds. And we're going to sit right there in the center. There are a lot of people that would gravitate towards that. I mean, hand over fist if they could. I would be one of them. I am all for trying to find some type of bipartisan compromise in the center. I recognize that not everything can be solved by just sitting in the center, right? And that doesn't mean that you should ride the fence on every single issue. But what it does mean is that you can acknowledge the good and the bad on both sides and be good, be okay with voting for and pushing candidates that are good, regardless of if they have a D or an R by their name on the ballot, right? So, uh, I th- honestly, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of looking into this as something that like could actually happen, and it would be extremely interesting to see how Trump and a lot of the more far right leaning Republicans would kind of react to this, because I think it would uh, it would mix things up and shake things up a lot. Looking forward to see how this story kind of develops over the next coming months. So, with all of that having been said. That is the end of our show today, end of the last story, I should say. Let's hop on into our last segment, something that made me smile. So something that made me smile this week was actually a podcast that I listened to. Many of you may or may not listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. It's obviously an incredibly popular podcast, uh, but he had a specific podcast done uh, that he put out this past week with Francis Ngannou, who is a UFC fighter and is from Cameroon, Africa. It was incredibly good. 
so interesting listening to Francis Ngannou talk through uh, the strife and the struggle and the difficulty that he had to go to from leaving Africa, going all the way up through Nigeria and Niger and Algeria, and then eventually up into Morocco and trying to get from there into Spain. It was unbelievable to listen to him tell his story. I mean, absolutely harrowing journey that he took in order to be able to get on up into Europe and how he felt like that was something that he needed or had to do in order to be able to get somewhere, to be able to bring himself out of a lot of the cyclical poverty that is uh, that is present within Cameroon. Extremely interesting. I highly suggest going and listening to it. I think in a lot of ways it gives you a pretty cool perspective on a lot of the different things that are happening with people in the world. I think it's easy for us as Americans uh, to kind of sit back and... I don't know, be be content and be fine with things that are happening within our first world country and not realize all of the difficulty and the strife that's happening throughout the world. And uh, that podcast did a very, very good job of kind of highlighting a lot of the very interesting things that happen to people um, that are not around in America. So totally should go give it a listen if you want. Uh, very, very interesting story. And he's a really, really cool guy. Even if you're not into fighting, UFC fighting, it still is an incredibly interesting story. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our story or end of our show today. I want to thank you for stopping in, for checking us out. As always, y'all stop by on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on Facebook at Split the Difference, YouTube at Split the Difference. And of course, my website at Split the Difference with only one T. Check me out. Drop me some likes and subscribe, some five-star reviews. All of that goes an incredibly long way into getting my name out there and hopefully getting more people to check in and to tune in and to listen in to what we have to say. I also would like to go ahead and just shamelessly plug, we've got another guest episode coming up here soon that will likely be dropping on Tuesday same day as the last time we dropped it. And I think that y'all will really, really like our guest. She is very smart. She is very articulate. And she has a lot of incredible insights that many of you will enjoy and glean a lot from. So get ready to check that out next week as well. As always, y'all, remember we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We're always going to be reasonable. And of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.